This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 432 with RB Fast. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 432. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Mamas, before we dive in with our very special guest today to talk about a critically important topic, I want to share about the Shameless MomCon Collective. So COVID has given us a gift, many gifts, if we choose to see it that way. One of the gifts that has come out of COVID is I had the opportunity to completely rethink and reimagine what I wanted Shameless MomCon to look like this year. So it became abundantly clear a while ago that it would not be able to be an in-person event, but that didn't mean that you all weren't in need, desperate need perhaps, of hope and power and courage and connection during this really, really wild time. And so the Shameless MomCon Collective was born. This is going to be a four-week immersive virtual experience. It's going to be all the beautiful, most magical parts of Shameless MomCon, delivered to you virtually over the course of four whole weeks. Previously, this was like a two-day event in person, and now it's a four-week event where we get to be together in community, supporting one another. Every week, there's going to be guest speakers. Every week, there's going to be group coaching with me and a happy hour. There's going to be daily connection in our private Facebook group. I actually did a poll of the attendees who are already signed up. There's about a hundred of you. And I took a poll and I said, Hey, I want to know what are you most looking forward to in the Shameless MomCon Collective? And the response that was repeated over and over and over again was connection. Mamas who are looking forward to connection. The other most popular response was mamas who are looking forward to a little time to themselves, a little moment and a place to exhale a few times a week as we meet virtually where we can stop thinking about all of the wild, crazy things that are happening in this very fascinating, interesting, unique reality that we're living in. And be, to be able to step away from some of the heavy stuff, some of the hard stuff, some of the really overwhelming and exhausting stuff, to just be able to exhale, celebrate with each other, learn from each other, have a few good laughs, 
and also start thinking about the future and get hopeful again and start dreaming and start imagining all the things that we can do as we work through hard times and that we can do on the other side of hard times. So if any of this, if you're like, holy cow, yes, I need this, then I definitely want you to join us. I was able to open up a few more spots in this event. So there's literally just a handful of spots I was able to add in the last couple of days. I want you to grab a spot. So we kick everything off on next Wednesday, April 22nd. We go until Friday, May 15th. And I don't want you to miss a minute of it. So go over to shamelessmomcon.com to get yourself signed up for the Shameless MomCon Collective today. That's shamelessmomcon.com. RB Fast is an activist, a leader, an envelope pusher, a magic maker, and a shameless mom of a child who is creative, brave, and transgender. I asked Arby to come on the show. So Arby's actually been on the show before. She was actually talking about advocacy before and her work in advocacy. And this time I asked her to come on the show because I wanted to have a parent of a transgender child share what it is like and what parenting can look like when there are major shifts around a child's identity, shifts that the rest of the world might not understand and might not accept. When Arby and I first started talking about doing this interview, she said she had to talk to her son about it. She wanted him to be able to fully consent to this conversation as well as set any boundaries that he needed to. Arby also set boundaries around this conversation and you're gonna hear us talk about that. Arby also set some boundaries around this conversation, which was so appropriate and necessary. And you're going to hear us talk a little bit about that. And this is also a really beautiful and powerful example of sharing someone's story in order to help others more clearly and deeply understand something while still protecting really important boundaries. I'm so grateful that Arby was open to coming on the show. I'm so, so grateful that her son was open to us having this conversation about him. I need to just give them both a big shout out and a ton of love for being open to this whole experience. You know, for a mom to ask a kid like, hey, can I share a whole bunch of things about your experience on a podcast? That's a big ask. That's a really big ask. And I wanted to be able to have this conversation because I think it's a really, really important conversation and I deeply feel and know that this conversation is going to help other kids who are transgender. It's going to help other families. It's going to help other parents. And I think this is so, so important when we don't have these kinds of conversations and create space for more awareness and more learning and more acceptance. It's extremely, extremely dangerous. Lives are lost when we are not open to these kinds of conversations. And so it's a conversation I've been wanting to have for quite some time on the show. And I'm just so grateful to Arby and her son for letting us talk these things through here today. So Arby's son is not on the show, but Arby talks a little bit about his experience, his story. Also, because Arby's been on the show before, she had to give us a little update. So listen in to hear Arby share why she gave up her business to go back to a traditional job and why sometimes seemingly moving backwards is actually moving forward. She also talks about how she creates boundaries around sharing her story of parenting a trans child and protecting her child at the same time. She talks about how to practice curiosity over judgment if your child might be LGBTQ+. She talks about how to raise children who are strong allies. And she talks about signing up for unconditional love couched in a universe of uncertainty. This was one of the most powerful things that she said. And immediately when she said it, I was like, hold on, hold on. I got to write that down because this is what we do as parents. We sign up for unconditional love couched in a universe of uncertainty. So I'm so honored and deeply, deeply grateful to Arby. With all that said, let's welcome Arby Fast back to the Shameless Mom Academy. Arby, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you as one of the few people who've come on the show twice. Thank you. I'm so honored to come on for such varied conversations. All right, right. I know. I love it. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. We're going to talk about your experience parenting a transgender child and just so many different pieces of that. And I want to let the audience know something I think is really important and special is that prior to booking this interview, you made clear some really important boundaries around what you're open to sharing and not sharing. And I just so deeply respect that. And I want to kind of use that as an example of we can go into really challenging conversations or really vulnerable conversations with boundaries that can still have great impact and that it's okay to say like, I'm cool to go here, not cool to go there. So I just, I want to give you a little shout out for that right from the beginning. 
Thanks. I think learning to set boundaries has been some of the most important work of my adult life. Yes. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. First, I want to know a little bit more about what's going on with you. I know you were on the show uh, probably two years ago. So talk about the dynamics of your personal and professional life now and what you're most excited about right now. Sure. So a lot has happened since that last podcast episode, which I'm assuming you'll probably put in show notes for people to reference. Yes, we'll link it up. So I was a small business owner and a leadership coach and a married woman two years ago, and none of those things are true about me anymore. So I did have a big change in my life. My husband left me. It was a a surprise to me. And so that was after 15 years of marriage, a pretty big change to go through um, and not something that I'd anticipated would be a thing I would go through in my life. So I definitely had to recalibrate almost everything. When he left, he sort of took a year to make poor choices and not be super available. And so part of the decision I had to make was how to ensure stability in my child's life. And what did I need? My new plan instead of master planning my business or helping my clients master plan for their businesses and nonprofit organizations, really, I had to make a new master plan for my life and figure out what I needed to do financially, what I needed to do to be present for my kid, what I needed to do to take care of myself, what I needed to do to help my community of people know how to best support me. And so I really took some time to just grieve and kind of be in a dark place and barely muddle through, which I think an important thing is to know that you should, everyone should give themselves permission when big, hard things happen in life to not be okay for a little while. Like I spent a good amount of time in my closet crying and, you know, it's okay to just not know what to do and to know you're going to have to figure something out, but to also know not what that is right in the moment and to just give yourself space to hurt when life is hard. And so I did do that. And I'm really glad I did because it helped me get clear on what I needed to do. I simultaneously, as was I was in the early stages of separating from my husband and figuring out my life, I had several clients who canceled impending contracts not because of anything I'd done. They all had things come up in their own lives or their own businesses, you know, a nonprofit that was going to use a grant to have me do a big thing with them. They lost that grant. And, you know, I had a client whose mother died and she just couldn't like she shut her business down because she was too grief stricken. So I lost all $25,000 worth of clients in about six weeks, just a couple months after my husband left. I have to say, like, I've been there and I mean, I haven't been in the separation piece from a partner, but with the business piece and like to your point about sitting in the closet and crying, it feels so unfair and you want to get to a place of like, what's the universe trying to tell me? But it's like, it takes a minute to get there (laughs) for sure. Yeah. In the moment, it was more just like, I am F. Yes. I'm going to lose. I already thought I lost everything, but actually now I'm really literally going to lose everything. That was the place I was in. And so I said, okay, I have two choices here. I can either aggressively scale my business or I can go get a job and, you know, a good job. Like I knew the kind of salary I could command and I knew I could command a higher salary in the professional world than I was actively paying myself at that moment, even though I was paying myself a perfectly fine wage. I knew. And so it was really just a matter of, do I go for the guaranteed stable thing or do I make the bold, unpredictable move that could have, you know, amazing and or horrendous results. And I went for stability. I just, you know, it's like what I need to do is guarantee I can do everything for my child. And that big loss of clients was, it just felt like the right thing to do was to get a job and to stop the hustle that comes with self-employment. It was too much. I can do a lot, but I can't do everything. And I have to give myself permission to just And I am a bold person and I almost felt this obligation like, but you are RB fast and what RB fast does is big, bold, courageous things. And it almost felt like I almost was a little ashamed and embarrassed for a while because I wasn't sure that that would be like, I don't know, impressive. It's so ego driven, right? Like, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. Like this is not my core values to work for the man. (laughs) But actually I work for an economic justice nonprofit and I love it. I am doing leadership coaching every day inside my organization with the people I work with. And, you know, I mean, my skills translate amazingly and I have this degree in interior design that I wasn't really using at all, but we are going to move to a new facility and I'm the project manager for figuring out where we go and what our new facility will be. And it'll be all that interior design stuff. So it's turned out they 
pay me great. The benefits are great. I, they get that I'm a single mom, you know, and they support me and it's wonderful. And life is so much steadier and I feel so much joy and hope and everything is fine. And I kept my house and, you know, I came out of my divorce actually in a much better financial position than I was when I was married, which I realize is super rare. Yes, I know. Well done. <laughs> right. So like that's possible. And, you know, so fairly like he had a hard year and, you know, he had to deal with the things he was the demons that he was dealing with. And, you know, he's he's back and more stable and, you know, showing up. And we had a pretty amicable divorce. There was only one big fight the whole like year of divorcing. And it was really just a miscommunication. And when it came time, we agreed on everything. Our divorce proceeding was nine minutes long. Oh, my gosh. With custody, with a house, with, you know, right? We had, I'm like, I need to write a book called The Nine Minute Divorce. Yeah, totally. It's actually a year and a half of misery, but you can get to a place where it's a nine minute divorce <laughs> and you hug afterwards. Like we hugged, we said, congratulations. And we went our separate ways. And then I promptly walked out the door of the, the courthouse and fell down the stairs. Oh, no. um, but. I was like, I'm great. I'm fine. I'm divorced. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I have to say, because I know we're going to move into some other things in a minute, but I have to say I we have so many women who come on this show to talk about walking away from a traditional job and all these traditional things to build something on their own and to build an identity around building something on their own and all of that stuff. And I don't think we've ever spoken about that happening in the reverse order. And I really, really love how you share this story and the significance of recognizing recognizing that it's not a step back or it's not a failure or like for you, this was the path to freedom and stability to go to shift to own your professional situation in a way that really worked well for your family at that time, given what was going on. And that had to have provided a ton of relief for you. It really did. It just instantly knowing that every two weeks, a few thousand dollars was going to hit my bank account, knowing that my health insurance, I had the same health insurance, but suddenly it was, you know, half as expensive as it had been when I was buying it on the exchange, you know, so it just in so many ways, it was just like, yes. Oh, so great. I love it. So this episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted? And Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers. On an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. 
and your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Go ahead and talk to us about, do you want to talk to us about what's changed in your parenting dynamic and with your son and his identity? Sure. Well, I mean, a lot has changed. Not only did the child I was raising as a daughter, you know, identify himself as a son very courageously. I just have so much respect for, you know, how much courage it takes to name that you are different than whatever box your family has put you into. You know, what I one of the things I've really realized parenting a transgender child is how much of it is just a metaphor for ways we have to show up as humans and how much of how I'm parenting him is a metaphor for how any parent could show up in their parenting, you know? So that's the thing about it is I think what I've realized is it is so unique, but it's also universal. There's so much just like universal human experience tied up in, you know, this relationship I have with my child and with him and his forming identity. And the parenting dynamics have also changed because I have a teenager now. Last time you interviewed me, I had an elementary schooler and now I have a seventh grader. How old is he? Is that 13? 13. Yeah. And that 13. I mean, I have a seven year old and that's it's a lot right now. So 13, that sounds like a lot more. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is. It's like every and, you know, we all know parenting teens is a whole boulder to carry and full of blessings. Gosh, he's just so funny and clever and you know, when he tells me about the conversations he's having with his friends, I'm like, you guys are talking about that? Like, amazing, you know? And so there's so much about it that's just inspiring and uplifting. But the big thing is that, you know, my daughter is a son. The she, her is now a he, him, and or a they, them sometimes. He's comfortable with that as well. And, you know, there's a new name and there's medical support and psychological support and, you know, a whole lot of people involved in helping me successfully parent him. Yeah. I want to go back to what I mentioned at the very beginning around boundaries, because like I said at the beginning or before having this conversation, you had said like these are, you had created some really clear boundaries, which I so appreciated. And I know that in sharing our infertility story over time, I've also created clear boundaries about like what I'm comfortable talking about, what I'm not, what's like my kid's story or my partner's story versus mine. And I'm curious for you, if you could talk a little bit around boundaries, because I think that this is obviously like something really critical for you as you talk about something that's so closely and intimately related to your child and also you, but first and foremost, your child. And I think that sometimes we miss when we don't have children going through big, huge changes or adjustments, we miss that we could maybe be a little more protective of all of our kids' privacy and stories. And I'm just, as someone with a platform, I'm just starting to kind of navigate this a little bit where like it used to be cute and funny to take a picture of my kid laying on the floor screaming. I'm like, no, that's probably not appropriate. So can you talk a little bit about boundaries around sharing our children's lives and stories? And especially when you do have a powerful message around it, or, you know, you want to have impact um, and stand up for something, but you also want to be respectful of your child. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is the age of your child. You know, if your child is old enough to consent around you sharing a thing, you should probably get their consent. Yes. If I recall, you did that. Was that, am I remembering correctly? Yes. When we booked this interview that you talked to your child about it first? Mm -hmm. I did. I told him about you and about your podcast and what, like who you talk to and, you know, explained that I'd been on it before and, you know, asked him one, is that okay? And then two, is there anything you wouldn't want me to discuss? And he's a pretty, just, uh, he's a brave and confident kid. And so he was like, yeah, sure, talk about it. You know, I'm not worried about it. And so really one of the things was first asking him, what are your boundaries? And he didn't feel that concerned and didn't have boundaries. But then the next question was, okay, great. But what are my boundaries? What information do I want people to have on my child? Which was part of it. And so what I, the boundaries I set for this podcast, just so people have context, is that we're not using his name and we're not talking about the specifics of his any medical or psychological interventions or the status of him in a medical or emotional and mental health support 
capacity. So his medical information is not, you know, up for conversation. And then his name too, because I'm aware that there are people out there who want to harm my child just because he exists fully as himself. And so, you know, I have to put some parameters around that to ensure that I'm protecting him. So part of it is just like, is it safe to share this information? Like, is there a potential, you know, issue with my child or my family's well-being if something like that is shared? So, and then the other thing is just, is that respectful? Would I want someone sharing some like my personal medical information on a podcast, you know, that gets more than 2 million downloads, you know, is that a thing I would want? Would I feel respected if someone put a picture like that of me on the internet? Would I feel good if I found out people I know were telling that story about me without me present to contextualize? So a big thing with all of our children is just, we just need to respect them because they're people, you know? And like, if you wouldn't say or do that, if you wouldn't grab your friend by the arm and yank them out of the bathroom and into the living room because you're tired of waiting for them, maybe don't do that with your child. If you wouldn't put a flattering picture of your friend on the internet with a joke caption, maybe don't do that with your child. So one of the things I want to talk about, back to your point about protecting your child's medical information, I think that this comes up so much in when we find out about anyone who we know remotely or in any way being transgender, we do go right to wanting to put people in boxes and like, oh, did they have this surgery and that surgery and hormones and blah, 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 and this. And so can you talk just not about your son at all, but just about the inappropriateness of us asking questions around transgender people and their private medical choices and decisions? Yeah. And private parts quite specifically. Yes, yes, yes. That too. Yeah. I think for this audience, a helpful metaphor would be like the way people treat you when you're pregnant, like suddenly they can touch you and ask all the invasive questions about every life choice you're making and medical choice you're making. Like that feeling is how it feels times 10 or a thousand possibly. I can't say what it feels like to be a trans person because I am not one, but I can only imagine that type of, it's so deeply personal. I have a story about a year ago or so, my friend took me to a nightclub. It was the last time I ever went to a nightclub. I was the moment <laughs> when I was like, girl, what are you doing? You don't belong here. But I went with my friend who's my same age, but way more fun than me. And there was some guy, it was loud. There were side conversations and I can't remember exactly how it came up, but this guy, someone told him my kid was trans or something about that. I can't remember exactly, but he came up to me and started asking me questions. He asked me a couple questions and then he just stood there and, you know, he was under the influence of alcohol, so his filter wasn't great, but he just goes, so penis or vagina? <gasps> oh. Uh-huh. And I stood there for a second and I said, excuse me, are you inquiring about my child's genitals? Yeah. And he goes, well, I mean, not like that. I was like, why do you want to know about a child's genitals? Why are you so interested in that? Good for you. <laughs> Yeah. And he got real uncomfortable and started to back up. But that has become one of my go-to, instead of immediately jumping on people to try and educate them, because actually they aren't going to hear it. Like your brain is primed for learning when you've already made an assumption and said it out loud. Now you're in a place where you feel like you need to defend the assumption you spoke. And that's what we do as humans. So if someone immediately contradicts you, you dig in even more. So instead of immediately contradicting, I've gotten used to saying things like, what did you mean by that? Or help me understand. Or, you know, and just make them repeat their own words. Yeah. And make them own or say, you know, so what is so interesting about my child's genitals to you? Oh my gosh, I love this so much because of course it helps, you know, the person see how inappropriate they are, but I feel like it's like so validating <laughs> from your end of it to put it in that context, which is a very accurate context to make a person realize how like gross and creepy they're being. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, people are, they're very inappropriate. And so I just, for the listeners out there to contemplate, if you're wanting to ask a question like that, just ask yourself, like, am I about to ask someone a question about their genitals? Am I about to ask someone a question about which medications they take? And would I ask that question of anyone else? Right, you know, like, you know, your friend has ovarian cancer. Are you going to start inquiring about their the status of their ovaries and uterus 
super directly? No, because that would be invasive and weird. Like, you know this thing about them, but you don't have to know everything about them. And I think that's part of it is we, and I think in particular, I think educated middle-class and upper-middle-class people feel entitled to information. Yes. We feel entitled to know. And you actually aren't. And that, it's a humbling thing to realize, like, how many things really are none of your business. Mm. And just because you're curious doesn't mean you always have to ask. Yes. And that's actually a really interesting point around access. If you're in that category of, like, to upper-middle-class educated, you've had access to, like, potentially everything you've ever needed. And so you feel this entitlement potentially around like access to information because you've always been able to get that. And it's been not that maybe you haven't had to work hard for it, but you've always been able to access it. And so that's not surprising to me. That would be a category of people who would feel entitled to other people's personal information too. Yeah. So I think when it comes to that boundary thing, just consider one, why do I feel entitled to this information or how would my relationship with this person be better because I have access to this information? Because, you know, it's different. If it's a super intimate relationship, like it's your sibling and you're really tight, there may be boundaries that are different than you're at a dinner party and, you know, these are people you've met two or three times or you've never met before. You're a random guy at a nightclub saying penis or vagina. So that's where, like, what is the context of this conversation? Because, you know, my mom will ask some more intimate questions or, you know, there are people who can know more because of their status in our lives and there's like what circle they're in. Yes, absolutely. So I don't want people to feel like if this is your child or this is, you know, someone who's super important to you, you may have a different boundary, but they're probably offering up that information without you having to ask because of the nature of your relationship. This episode is supported by Best Fiends. So I have heard you all talking about Best Fiends. A number of you have mentioned it in our private Facebook group. I've heard people talking about it out on the streets. No, but I've heard our listeners talk about it in multiple places and multiple contexts. I know you all are playing Best Fiends. It's a ton of fun and it is a perfect pandemic game because it's a great little distraction that occupies your mind enough to let you let go of all the horrors of the real world while also keeping you engaged and keeping your brain stimulated enough to be like alert and enjoy yourself and have a little fun and feel like you're getting some good entertainment. So Best Fiends is awesome if you are someone who likes puzzling kinds of games. So I'll tell you, I don't like games that have a big learning curve or are hugely strategic or have any pressures of time. Those are like my things. Very picky about my game use, especially on apps. And Best Fiends fits the bill for all the things I need it to be and all the things I don't need it to be. So here's the deal. With Best Fiends, when you get started, it's super simple. When you get started, it's pretty intuitive. You can figure things out as you go. You start advancing levels. You see how things shift and change as you get into harder levels. And it keeps getting better. It keeps getting more fun. It keeps like the level of strategy as you learn goes up just enough to keep you engaged and not let you get bored, but not so much that you feel like overwhelmed or fatigued by it. I've been playing Best Fiends for months now and love, love, love it. So this is like a pandemic is a great time to just find a new game and chill the heck out with your new game. So I want you to go check out Best Fiends. There's over 100 million downloads, tons of five stars reviews. Like this is a game that so many people are playing all the time and loving. So if you just go to your app store, the Apple App Store or into Google Play, you can download it for free and just do a search for Best Fiends. That's F-I-E-N-D-S. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. I'm curious if there's been people in your life who have been uncomfortable with your child coming out as transgender. And I don't know if you want to share anything specific. And second part of the question, what do, would you say to people who are uncomfortable with children identifying as transgender? And I'm asking this because there's people in my life who have issue with this. <laughs> Right. And I don't. So I'm always like, and I feel like I get really defensive about it. like, I'm like, how dare you? How dare you even care or consider why a seven year old would who appears to be female wants to be male? Like that's it's just none of your business. So that's kind of the lens in which I'm asking it through. Sure. Which I'm there with you. Like, just no big deal. Whatever. Just let them be whoever they are. But yes, there have been, I mean, of course, like grandparents and great grandparents and folks who like when they were growing up, it was shocking to find out someone was gay. Right. 
you know, like, and there are still communities where that's a thing, which I, you know, part of what I keep trying to remind myself and my child is that we live in an astoundingly liberal bubble. Like if you're going to be a trans kid, being born to super progressive parents in gender or in Denver, Colorado is about as like jackpot as it gets. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. There are way harder social and cultural circumstances in which to be born a trans person. So, you know, we have this bubble where it isn't that hard, but there are some things, you know, it took his grandparents on my ex-husband's side a while to start using the appropriate name. And I had to just, you know, reach out to my ex-husband and just say, you need to draw a firm line with them. They're very important people in his life. And I won't let him see them if they're going to misgender and dead name him consistently. And I don't want to be a parent who keeps my kid from their grandparents. I have no interest in that. I have no interest in drama, but I'm not also going to put my child in emotionally unsafe situations just so I don't make people feel uncomfortable. Right. You just use the two terms misgender and dead name. Can you explain those to listeners? Sure. So misgendering is calling someone by a gender marker, a pronoun that they themselves do not choose or identify with. So if you know that someone identifies as male and they refer to themselves with he, him pronouns, and you also are aware that they were identified as female at birth, and you choose to call them with she, her pronouns, even though you know they reject those pronouns, you are misgendering them. And it is an act of cruelty. It's bullying. There are mistakes. And I would say my experience with the trans community, certainly my experience with my kid is there's forgiveness around, you know, like getting used to those things. Right. And so it's not like they're going to get angry. But if they know, like if you're this child's mother and your child has said, please call me a girl and you keep calling that child a boy, that, in my opinion, is emotionally abusive. Your child has waved a hand and said, I am this person. And, and we'll get, so dead naming, same thing. It's if you're calling someone, like if you're calling your child by the name you gave them instead of the name they gave themselves, you're dead naming them. You're calling them by a name that is now dead to them in their spirit, in their soul, even if it's legally still their name. It's not their name. They don't identify with that name. And I think about, so, you know, I'm RB Fast. My legal name is Rebecca. And sometimes it's actually always been men in my life where I meet people, they hear my name is RB, they ask what it stands for. I say Rebecca Barbara. And then so many men have said, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to call you Rebecca then. I like it better. So inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Right. Inappropriate. It's so disrespectful. I'm like, right. no, the DFB calls me Rebecca. You call me, my mother calls me RB. You don't get to decide I'm Rebecca. Like, who do you think you are? And the level of disrespect I feel in that moment, I can't even imagine when you are a person who is trying so hard to carve out an identity that society has told you you don't have permission to own. And then, you know, it just would be like death by a thousand cuts. Misgendering and dead naming is death by a thousand cuts. And what I want to say, going back to if this is your child or a child in your family, and you're just refusing to call them by the name they want, you're refusing to call them by the pronouns, you're refusing to acknowledge they're gay or allow them to, you know, be gay in your home, like you will never bring anyone home to us, like that kind of thing. What I want parents and family members to consider, and please feel free to contact me if you have an example of this. Have you ever heard of someone who said, you know, growing up, my family did not honor who I was and I was constantly fighting to carve out my identity and, you know, they were constantly shaming me for being who I was and they wouldn't allow it. And, you know, I'm so glad I have the best relationship with them now and I feel so great. Like, gosh, everything's so much better now that my family didn't honor who I was and forced me to be someone I'm not. Everything about life is great now and my relationship with them is so strong. Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I don't think it does. Like, again, I'm willing to be educated if I'm wrong, but I know a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community who have cut their families out of their lives or whose families have cut them out of their lives because they can't just love unconditionally. And when you're a parent, you're signing up for unconditional love couched in a universe of uncertainty. Oh, such a strong, powerful and accurate statement. <laughs> So like the thing to choose is unconditional love. You can't control all those uncertain things. And when you start focusing on the universe of uncertainty, 
and trying to control that, you're turning your back on the unconditional love in the center. Yeah, I love it. And I'm like frantically typing (laughs) your quote here. Yeah, I think that that, oh my gosh, that resonates so much. And I would imagine that this resonates for people in just so many different ways. I think so many children who have been rejected by parents for so many reasons have a feeling, I mean, I know this pertains to me in more ways than one, around someone who can't provide unconditional love (laughs) in a universe of uncertainty. And I think when you have it, you know, it can happen in a lot of different ways, but when you have it also in the capacity of something that certain people in society are so adamantly against acknowledging, that makes it so much more dangerous. That's exactly it, because it's so painful anyway. If you're raised to be a doctor and all you want to do is be a painter and you have to like figure out a way to be a part of your family, but also do the thing that brings you joy. And there's so much confusion and pain in something like that. But you know what? Society accepts artists. We're all about artists. Great. Like the rest of the world isn't going to hate you for being a painter. The rest of the world isn't going to make it hard for you to get housing because you're a painter. It's not going to make it hard for you to get and keep jobs because you're a painter. You know, when you apply as a male and then you have to provide your ID and it has a female marker and suddenly they don't invite you in on Monday, that's a whole different thing. And so when a family refuses to accept a child for who they are, and then that child has to go out into the world that already has decided that they're unacceptable. There is so much loneliness and danger, so much danger. And is that really what you want? Would you rather love your child unconditionally and have them be not exactly what you would have made if you were molding them out of ceramics? Or would you rather your child still not be exactly what you would have made if you had molded them out of ceramics, but also out in the world unsafe and feeling unloved. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. And this is what I always come back to when people are confused and struggle to adapt with other people being transgender is how dangerous it is when a cisgender person cannot be adaptable to that because it is so dangerous to anyone who's questioning their gender identity or their sexual identity for that matter. It's so, so dangerous. So I appreciate you bringing that point up because, and I mean, speaks explicitly about the danger. It's We see it in suicide rates and we see it in so much mental anguish and just the destruction of lives. Yeah. I mean, if you're not loving your child unconditionally, you are setting them up for misery in some way or another. They may or may not claw their, their way out of it, but you are choosing to impart misery on your child's spirit by not just accepting them for being the person they are. Can you talk about how parents can support a child who's gender expansive or gender nonconforming? And this may, I mean, there can be, I'm sure, a spectrum of this, because I'm sure there's parents who even, you know, in your case, like, want to be as open and supportive and unconditional as possible. But still, it's like, and it takes a minute to adjust. And then, you know, then there's this other end of the spectrum, which we've been kind of alluding to where people don't want to be adaptable. How can we be supportive? So I think, first and foremost, just allow yourself to be curious instead of judgmental anywhere you can. You know, it's really easy, even just like, assuming your child is being naughty, but then realizing they were actually just exploring a thing in a really messy way that is frustrating for you. But, you know, like your kids are just following this thing inside of them. You know, they're not plotting to be difficult and they're not plotting to confuse you. They just do it magically all the time. They're like, because there's just this little thing inside of them that's driving them forward. And so sometimes they're going to get curious about, well, not sometimes, they guaranteed are going to get curious about gender. They're going to get curious about societal roles. They're going to get curious about race. They're going to be curious about religion. They're going to be curious about a lot of things. And so your job is to make sure your child has access to information and resources to form their own conclusions about who they are and where they belong in the world. And then once they have that access to information, they're forming that identity. Your other job is to build scaffolding around them. You're not designing the building. You aren't the architect. You aren't the engineer. You're there to make sure the building holds up and that the supplies are there. You're like operations, right? Your child's building themselves. You're just making sure they have all the tools and resources they need to do it successfully. Yeah, and safely. And safely, right. Yeah, so that's really, when it comes to a gender expansive child, just let them explore. You know, it's okay if your son loves tutus. It's okay if he wants to wear the tutu to the movie or to Walmart. What really will happen, and I know in the moment, and for a lot of people feeling embarrassed or people looking at them is like the worst feeling in the world, but I encourage you to be brave for your child. Don't you child so much more than you care about what people out in public think of you? This is interesting, geographically speaking, because you said, did you say you're in Denver? Yes. So you're in Denver, I'm in Seattle. Like, it's actually super cool for parents to take their three-year-old son in a pink tutu to the grocery store in Seattle. Like my son went through a tutu phase and we took him to like our friend's gay wedding. And I mean, I was like, he's like showboat. Like he's actually getting more attention than the two grooms in this wedding. And I feel a little guilty about it. So I think we also have to look at like in certain geographical, certain cities, certain states, certain places around our country, there's so much more space for this acceptance. And then there's other places where there's not at all. And so to your point around how it might be embarrassing for a parent, it's interesting to me because I just can't imagine feeling that way because I'm so lucky to be in a city where that's just not a thing. And it sounds like you're kind of in a similar situation in Denver. I am. I have the, I guess you would call it benefit of perspective in that I grew up in a very conservative community on the Colorado-Utah border. 
and I have a lot of very deeply conservative family members. So there is, I have that perspective and I understand that and, you know, bless all the people in my family with conservative roots who have openly accepted my child. There are actually, there's lots of members of my family that I don't know how they feel. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know yet if they accept him or not, because we haven't been in the same room together and I haven't been able to suss it out. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I know that there may be times when that stuff rears its head and I have to be ready to say, look, I'm here because I have my child's back. Yeah. Like your feelings about how my child dresses or what haircut they have, because really when it comes down to gender expressive children, we're concerned about what clothes they're wearing and doing their hair. Totally. Really, like that is almost all perhaps whether or not they're painting their fingernails. Like it's mostly just physical appearance stuff. And are you excited to be a parent who gives your child issues around their physical appearance or makes them feel self-conscious? I mean, that sounds so ridiculous. And that goes back to the ridiculousness of your incident with this guy at a nightclub. And like, really, you're going to ask me about my child's genitals? Like (laughs) that's the level of maturity that we're talking about here that people feel entitled to like care or have an opinion about if your child is wearing basketball shorts and an Under Armour t-shirt versus like a pink dress with hearts on it. Sure. Yeah. And I think, again, using the power of questioning Mm -hmm. as a way to help people get aware of the judgments and assumptions they're making and saying, I see. Yeah. Okay. You're a little concerned about his tutu. Can you tell me more about that? Why are you so worried about what he's wearing? Why is that causing such big feelings in you? You know, what would happen if I let him wear a tutu all day? What do you anticipate would happen to him if I allowed that? Yeah. You know, like, let's unpack these. It's like, well, then he'll think it's okay. And then what would happen if he felt okay about the clothes he wore? Yeah. Like, help them unpack what they think this harm is you're causing to your child by supporting them. Yeah, I like that. How have you evolved as a parent as you have endured so many changes in your life, but especially as you child has shifted their identity expression, has that changed how you parent or evolved how you parent? Or were you just ready for this? (laughs) I know enough about you to know that there was an element of you that was probably ready for this, (laughs) like ready and able to be nimble around this because that's just who you are. Yeah, I do think again, like my kids sort of won the lottery when it came to like, landing in a family that accepts him and was ready to just, you know, like when he came out to me, I texted my ex-husband and said, you know, kiddo's name is now this using these pronouns. And he texted back and said, okay, cool. I'll let my family know. Amazing. That was it. That was the whole conversation that the dad and I needed to have about our kid being a transgender and was like, okay, that's the thing, you know? And he was like, let me know what else? And so I take care of all the, you know, I'm the full-time parent. And so I basically just text him photos of medical bills he needs to help pay Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. And other than that, like, it's just, it's fine. So part of it is, yeah, I was from a very small age. It became super clear to me that people with power are often inclined to use that power to harm and marginalize people with less power. Mm, Yeah. And around maybe eight years old, I made a promise to myself that I would always be a person who stood up for people who didn't have power. And I would always be a person who had the back of the people who clearly were being wronged in the situation that I would always consider like, what were the power dynamics? And I was only eight years old, but I already was just so aware of that. Amazing. Activist at age eight. <laughs> I love it. I really, I, I was. Love it. And I always have been in a little bit of an instigator. Like I was never afraid to call out adults on their, like I was this sense of justice. So from that sense, I was ready. I was ready, like, okay, I have a child who has an identity that puts him in some compromised positions in society and I need to be there to be, you know, an ally for it. But of course my parenting has shifted one because you can't keep trying to parent your teenager the same way you parented your elementary schooler. You know, that's just, you got to keep letting go. But this has been a great exercise and opportunity in really letting go. You know, there's so much I can't control and there's so much that I have to just trust. And then the other thing, just allowing him to tell me who he is, allowing him to reveal himself to me, which again, I think as a strategy for parenting, a strategy for having teenagers 
as they explore with identity. And he's gender fluid in certain ways. Like he really likes makeup. Sometimes that means making a zombie face. And sometimes that means full like drag queen makeup. So, you know, part of it is also not being like, okay, now he identifies as a boy. I'm going to boy him from infinity, right? No eyeliner for you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Also yesterday I bought him fluorescent yellow and teal eyeliners. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. And he was telling me how he wants to play with contouring. And great. Like the thing is like not putting something on him and just letting him reveal himself to me Mm -hmm. and then making sure that I can support what I see, what I'm observing, what he's revealing. That's the thing. Just knowing what I can't control. And then there's also just like being a married, having two parents to attend to one child is logistically a lot easier. And so I've had to let go of curbside service for him for everything. You know, he walks a real long way from his school to load himself onto a city bus and he takes that city bus several miles and then loads himself off and walks himself to the house at the end of the day. You know, I can't shuttle him everywhere anymore. So one of the things I did when getting divorced was realize he needed to learn how to use our city bus system so he could get himself around the city because I can't do it for him all the time anymore. What a great way to build independence. I love it. Uh Uh-huh. Terrifying at first, but I'm really glad. Yeah. I know we're close on time and I want to be, I know you're doing this call while you're on work hours. I want to be really respectful of your time, but can you tell us to whatever level you have time, how parents can raise children who are strong allies? Because I think this is so crucial for our school age kids who are going to befriending kids in the LGBTQ community. Sure. First and foremost, you cannot lecture to your child about anything you aren't modeling. Yeah. So if you want your child to be a kind person, check yourself. Mm-hmm. How kind are you being? When you're talking about people who are in the room, what are you saying about them? You know, like just the general, like, how are you showing up as a human in the world? Because if you want your child to be a kind person, an ally, a person who accepts people who are different from them, you know, a person who's open-minded and listens to new ideas, you have to model being that. So your kindness, your curiosity, your willingness to learn and be flexible, because a huge part of being an ally is knowing that there isn't just one truth that's the absolute truth forever and ever. The thing about being an ally is understanding that cultural norms and societal conversations are ever shifting. So the best way to be an ally is to be a mentally flexible person who's willing to consider that what you used to think was the okay thing to do maybe is not anymore. And who's willing to consider that it's not your job to decide. It's your job to listen to the people who are in that place and assume that they know best and trust them and listen to whatever guidance they're giving. So when you show up in that way, you teach that to your children. And then the other thing is to just actively seek out education. If there are places where you know you want to be a good person, you want to be an ally, but you know you're not that well informed, get informed. Yeah, I love this piece of it. It reminds me a lot around things related to race and especially black people. And like, it's not, I follow all these amazing people on social media, Rachel Cargill being the first one who comes to mind who are like, she's great. It's not my job as a black woman to teach you how hard it is to be a black woman, like go get on Google. And I would totally agree with the same thing here in this case, like, it's not people's jobs in marginalized communities who already have significantly less power to educate you the people who already have more power, like it's totally the opposite. Yeah, it's your job. The onus is on you. Right. As a person who cares about other people to learn about how to do that best. Don't assume you know to how, how to care about all other people. Start listening and learning and model that for your child and use the language that those communities of people are teaching you to use. Use that language with your child. There's you can teach, teach, teach all you want. But if you aren't modeling, you're not doing it. Yep, exactly. How are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? I mean, aside from the last 46 and a half minutes that you've shared, anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think I just getting divorced has made me feel better than ever. Mm. 
and more shameless than ever in so many ways. And so there are many things I'm doing to show up as a shameless mom. One of them is I'm shamelessly pursuing my own personal well-being. I get monthly massage and Reiki and facials and I go to bed early and, you know, I just prioritize myself and my wellness. And it's really easy as a single mom to be like, I'm a single mom, everything's hard and fall into that. And I don't, I have a housekeeper and I pay people to mow my lawn. And, you know, I have the privilege to do that. And because I have that privilege, I'm not going to feel guilty or shameful about it. I'm going to use my privilege to pay other people to do their amazing work and tip them super well and take care of myself in the process. I love it. And then I think the other big thing I'm doing as a shameless mom is I've just decided the whole concept of shame is just trash, which I appreciate that that's your whole thing too, is shame has no place in a life where of joy and thriving, like shame just is so useless unless you're a person with power trying to marginalize people with less power. That's what shame is. Yes. And I think that's where it comes from. I mean, this is like a whole nother conversation about the patriarchy, but I feel like shame is like a social construct. It's the way we've been conditioned to have perspectives around things or frame certain things. And so, yeah, yeah, totally agree. I'm going to hold myself back (laughs) from continuing to go with that, but go ahead. So being shameless about talking about everything, talking about my money, talking about my mental health. I know we're friends on Facebook and I recently posted, you know, I just got to the therapist and I got my thing back and it had right there, like my mental health diagnosis. I have. Yep. Oh my gosh. I loved that post. And so I just posted from Kaiser, like, here's the snapshot, like my mental health diagnoses are generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder with recurrent episodes and post-traumatic stress disorder. And that was the first time I had ever publicly named those things. And I just decided like, why not? Because people see me as a high functioning superstar. And I've had many people express shock when they learn that I have just anxiety and not even the trifecta diagnosis. But they're like, you don't seem anxious at all. When I'm anxious, like all the time. And so what I decided is we don't know what that means. We don't know what it looks like. And so like, you want to know how old I am. You want to know how much I weigh. You want to know how much money I make. You want to know how much debt I have. Let's talk. I will shamelessly share all the things, just not information about my child. That's where the boundaries come in. Oh, I love it. This is so good, Arby. Thank you so much for your time. Tell people where they can connect with you and find you. Sure. So the only place really to find me would be Instagram because I'm not here to promote anything or there's no website. You can't get my PDF download. That doesn't exist. (laughs) There's no free giveaway. (laughs) There's no anything. Yeah. I'm just a person with a job and a kid. And so you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is vegucationmama, V-E-G-U-C-A-T-I-O-N-M-A-M-A, all one word. I Instagram a lot about my life, the food I cook, you know, there's all sorts of different things. It's a pretty standard Instagram. So if you want to find me there, that's the spot. Awesome. I love it. So we'll have that linked up in the show notes over at shamelessmom.com. People can click on the episode with RB Fast. And oh my goodness, thank you so much for coming on today. I know that this episode and this conversation is going to be impactful to our listeners. And I'm hoping it gets shared out a lot so that we can have this be impactful in different levels of community and different parts of the country with people with different belief systems, just to get some exposure again around how we can protect children in the LGBT community from potentially really dangerous situations if they aren't able to live as who they are. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I really, I want all the shameless moms out there to know that I am rooting for you so hard and none of this is easy. And if you want to DM me on Instagram to ask me a question about, I also am theoretically a parenting expert, quote unquote, that's a thing I did before my new job. So like, if you want to just send me a message and ask for a little help or ask a question, I am happy to help you out. All right. Thank you for that. Thank you, RB, for being here. And I mean, come back anytime. We have so many things to talk about. We do. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash 
Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.